Welcome to the Let's Scare My Girlfriend to Death podcast. I'm your co-host, Josh. And I'm your co-host, the girlfriend, Cindy. Welcome to to week three of David Cronenberg on the Let's Scare My Girlfriend to Death podcast. Uh, So we're doing Scanners, which sadly does not have Oliver Reed in it. Why does it not feature Oliver Reed? I think Oliver Reed was a pain in the ass. That's my Oliver Reed impression, in case you missed last week's episode. Cronenberg is probably like, I'm good. (laughs) Welcome to the Let's Scare My Girlfriend to Death podcast. Scanners edition. Scanners edition. This is David Cronenberg month. Yeah. And it also was Robert Evans. Wait, what's what? his name? I said, oh. You subconsciously really have a thing for Robert Evans. Uh, not like sexually, just... <laughs> just Robert Evans, the, uh, not the, not talking about the producer Bob of Evans. I'm talking about the producer of Chinatown. I do. I know way too much about his life. Um, it's awkward. It's no, weird. To be fair, he would tell anyone about it that would listen. It's very true. They would. I- so it's interesting. He's the producer. I produced he's, Popeye. He's the producer of Chinatown. He's also the producer of like The Godfather. <laughs> and he's kind of a big deal. Um, okay, unpopular opinion. Mm-hmm. The Godfather movies are overrated. That's fair. Unpopular opinion. That's how I feel about the Titanic and most things that James Cameron does. Uh, I love everything he's done except for Avatar and. Titanic. Titanic. <laughs> and I'm not. In and it's only because you love Arnold Schwarzenegger. Yeah, I do love Arnold Schwarzenegger. It's, it's not even but, James Cameron. Yeah. It's, it's um, Arnold Schwarzenegger. I would watch Arnold just hang out with people, and I have. And it's you do. It's called. It's a documentary. That, and it's called Instagram, he and got, you follow him. He smokes weed and sings "Happy Birthday" to Lou Ferrigno, and Arnold can't sing for shit. He's like, "Happy Birthday, Lou." <laughs> Nice. It's amazing. So this is our... Uh, <laughs> Just me talking about how much you love This is our <laughs> Josh Loves Everything podcast. Uh, no, this is we watch scary movies, and we want you to watch them with us, and then we break them down, and Would Josh finds subtlety and meaning and nuance, and I'm just along for the ride to scream. I think that underplays your, your participation in the podcast, but... I don't sure. know. Half the time he brings stuff up, and I'm just like, no, no, Sure. We've talked about this, though. I've seen these movies many times, and you've only seen them once. That's so true. Sometimes your brain is that. your brain is doing all the plot work because mm. you've not seen them before. So, so Scanners it came out January fourteenth, nineteen eighty one. Ooh. Yeah, I wasn't I'm... even born yet. What year? What month? January. Oh, I was newly one. Nineteen eighty one. I was like one in one month. Yeah, I was negative numbers. <laughs> you were still swimming in your dad's ball sack. Mm. Mm. Tell me more about this movie. Or you want to tell me more about my dad's ball sack? No. He got, Should we do like I psychoplasmatics? Feel, I feel like if I just ask him, he'll tell me. And I'm cool. I'll ask him someday, but no, not mm. now. He'll tell you about his vasectomy. <laughs> so what else went on that year? Welcome. Not Tony Sapp's Welcome to Ball Talk, where we talk about my dad's balls. Yeah, you wanted this. You wanted what this. What else happened in 1980? You're going to get it. Jimmy Carter uh, was still president? Yes. No. No. Damn. No. Let's talk about something not your dad's Reagan balls. was elected in 1979. He took office in 81? No. He was elected in 80. He took office in 81. Right. So he, so he would have. Thank you. I wasn't too far off. Yeah. The Lady actor Diana, Ronald Reagan. Lady Diana married Prince Charles. Oh, you boo. Yeah, that, I hear that worked out great. They're boo. still happily married. Boo. Uh, he looks like an old catcher's bit. Yes, he does. Um, 
that's probably racist. He looks like, you know, that little, like a stress doll that you squeeze and it has little pips for eyes, nose, and ears. You know what I'm talking oh, yeah, about? Yeah, yeah, That's if you, when you squeeze it, that's what Prince Charles looks like. Pope John Paul II is shot. Mm-hmm. Fortunately, he, God saved him. I'll tell you what, he later went and he sat with that guy in private and just the two of them and they talked. And he was um, like, why do you hate me? Like, what's going on? What year was Reagan shot? I don't, it wasn't in but it was around this time. I think 83 or 84. I remember my dad kept rewatching this clip of Reagan getting shot. And I was like, what are you doing? He's like, I'm just kind of hoping he'll die in this one. And I was like, you really are a lot of like dad. Oh, dad. Daddy. <laughs> uh, the DeLorean debuts in I thought that, yes. And uh, I thought this was the year of the DeLorean. A mountain of cocaine later and back to the future later. Uh, we all look back on it fondly. Yeah. Uh, and Reagan appoints Sandra Day O'Connor to the Supreme Court. Yay. The first woman ever on the Supreme Court. Yay. So that's the thing. To keep those in mind as we talk about this is the world that we're stepping into. I in would just like to point out in my lifetime was the first woman. That's how. But yeah, you know, well, sexism isn't a thing anymore. Um, Talk to me about names associated with this film. So it's written and directed by David Cronenberg. He's keeping obviously, the shoot alive, writing obviously. and directing. This stars Jennifer O'Neill, who's Kim Oberst. I know her from uh, Lucio Fulci's *The Psychic*, which had one of the best endings ever, I think, in a horror movie. I fucking love it. She's got the top billing in this movie, and she doesn't show up for like half an hour. <laughs> and she's top billing. Okay. Top billing. Pretty crazy. Pretty crazy. Uh, Stephen Lax is the other star. He's His name's Cameron Vale in this movie. He would go on to be in Dead Ringers. Spoilers for later in the month. Uh, okay. And then let's get into the, the heavy hitters. Patrick McGuhan plays Dr. Paul Ruth. Did you ever see the show The Prisoner? Like the TV show The Prisoner from nope. the 70s? He's the prisoner in that. And he was also... Have you ever seen a little movie... Um, a very historically accurate movie called Braveheart. Have you ever seen this movie, Braveheart? Mm-hmm. With Mel Gibson. Mm-hmm. You mean that fictional telling of a historic person? Yeah. Uh, that movie is one hundred percent accurate. <laughs> no. In all regards. No. Mel Gibson built a time machine went back, and he wrote out everything that happened. Mel Gibson is pretty famous for just writing for performing in fictional accounts of historical things, but. It's fine. Uh, Mel Gibson won the Scottish Civil War and the American Civil War. A revolutionary war, sir. stabbed that man to death Mm -hmm. with the American flag. You know who else stabbed somebody to death? A tiny little toddler in last week's David Cronenberg movie. What was the guy? He went on to be the the Malfoy dad from Harry Potter, right? Yes. That's the guy that... Bill Gibson stabbed with the American flag. Yes. He stabs a British man with the American flag. Okay, that's not bad. I mean, I get it. I've dreamed of doing that. Not because I'm super pro-America, but I'm super anti-England. <laughs> Just saying. They, okay. They're a shit show, and I hate them. Yes, but he was uh, Henry the Longshanks, the king, in um, Braveheart. Mm-hmm. The king that England was like, he's a really nice guy. And Braveheart, they're like, he's a monster. <laughs> Because, you know, history. History. Uh, but let's be honest. Are you, here's why we're all here. For David Cronenberg? Why did we come, Josh? Why should we watch this To hear movie? Cindy's scratchy voice? Of course. That's this part. But why should we cue scanners up and watch it? What? what actor is awesome enough to get us to watch this movie? Jeff Goldblum. Almost. Michael fucking Ironside. 
Michael Ironside is so underappreciated. Where do I know that name from? Okay, he is. Other than Bjorn Ironside, the famous Viking. He's Daryl Revok in this movie, but he's the he's the bad guy's henchman in Total Recall Richter. Nope. He's John Ratzik in uh, Star Trek Troopers. Nope. He's Jester in Top Gun. He's the principal in Hello Mary Lou Prom Night Two. Nope. Which is arguably the most fun. A horror movie that's ever been made. He's in um, Highlander 2, The Quickening. Yep. Know who he is. Wait, does he play? Yeah. I think I know you're talking about. Keep going. <laughs> is Highlander 2 the one where they do gymnastics or is that? Highlander 2 is the one where there's like a dome over the planet. What's the one where they like fight on trapezes and things? It, it that might be that one. Yeah, I think it's that's It's a that really one. bad movie. It's I not think it's that movie. one. Uh, he was in Major Pain. Mm. Oh shit, ball, Cindy. Tell me what, listeners. Turbo Kid. He's the bad guy in Turbo Kid. Any other famous names associated really. with this movie? Not really. Any cameos? Anything we should nope. look for? So this movie, Cronenberg considered it his most frustrating film. Why is that? Um, it had to be rushed into production to meet a uh, date so they could get a tax write-off. So he had to start filming before the script was done. So he was writing the script during the night and shooting during the day. Oh, and also... The movie that Hulk Hogan wrote tells us you can't do that. Uh, Patrick McGuhan, who plays Dr. Paul Ruth, and Jennifer O'Neill, who plays Kim Obrist, who has top billing, fucking hated each other and did not get along. <laughs> Great. So that's also a thing. Also, this movie, like The Brood, is in the fucking Criterion Collection. <laughs> that's a thing. He hit a stride there where he was making movies that Criterion's like... We know it's horror. We don't normally do it, but we're going to put these in. Okay. So this is the part of the podcast where Josh shows me an original poster of the movie to try and help me preview what the hell we're about to watch. Cindy. Yeah? How fucking cool is this poster? It is a man (laughs) shaking. It looks like he's jumping off of like a... I don't know. It says 10 seconds. Oh, let me see what it says. Give it to me. Okay. There are four billion. There are four billion people on Earth. Two hundred thirty-seven are scanners. They have the most terrifying powers ever created, and they're winning. I'm proud of that voice. Uh, Ten seconds. The pain begins. Fifteen seconds. You can't breathe. Twenty seconds. You explode. Scanners. Their thoughts can kill. So I guess it's a man about to explode. So what do you think this movie's about? Two hundred thirty-seven people who can enter your mind and make you explode. So you think 237 people are going to enter the mind of someone and make them explode. Of different people. Like they go around just to make people zap. Kind of like in Zapped, he can use his mind powers to make clothes fall off. They can use their mind to make people explode. I'm going to make Cindy's mind explode. With this Speaking movie? Of Zap, what do you think about Scott Bayo? I think he's kind of a conservative piece of shit. Why? <laughs> I love it. My goal is to someday meet Scott Bayo in real life, shake his hand and go, I know you lost your virginity to a couch. I saw that episode. So, a slight extra here. Oh, this, this is, is the, the DVD case. to Criterion Blu-ray. I don't want to explain my Scott Bayo thing, by the way. It just, it is what it is. Uh, it's kind of the same thing. It's like, it looks like 
It's somebody. It's like a man exploding in two different ways. One's pixelated and one's not. Yes. <laughs> he stared at it like I was lying. I'm excited. Okay. Um, this is my prediction. Is this is not going to be your favorite? Like, I really think that there's a movie coming up that is going to be your favorite movie we'll have watched for David Cronenberg month. And it'll it's be the last movie we watch for the month. All right. But I think you like this movie. We seem to be destroyed where you're like, oh, these movies are crazy, but I like them. So see if we can keep that going. Okay. Is this available on anything other than DVD or Blu-ray? I don't... I think it's... Was it a popular movie? Like, is it on streaming services? I mean, I don't know about streaming services, but this was a pop... Like, this was his first big blockbuster in a way. All right. I would say Amazon, right? If you want to pay like $2.99 or $3.99. At least, and you might be able to find somewhere else for cheaper. Uh, I own the Criterion Blu-ray, which is currently, I want to say out of print, temporarily out of print. Mm-hmm. But I, now it's back in print. I happened to look on Amazon. I couldn't find it for sale. And I was like, oh, it must be out of print. I looked on eBay and they were like going for like 40 and 50 bucks. Oh. And I was like, oh, out of print for sure. So. All right. Well, we're off to watch that. Join us, won't you? Scanners. all of you in this room, one at a time. I must remind you that the uh, scanning experience is usually a painful one, sometimes resulting in nosebleeds, earaches, stomach cramps, nausea, sometimes other symptoms of a similar nature. At this point, I'd like to call for volunteers. Fine. Just uh, sit right here, please. you to think of something specific do i have to close my eyes it doesn't matter all right yes i have something Scanners. Hey, Scanners. Did you watch Scanners? Did you like it? I, I did. I did both of those things. I did, too. I was surprised. I've been pleasantly surprised with Cronenberg Month thus far. <laughs> thus 
far. Thus far. However, he does get five weeks, so it may change. Tell me about well, Scatters. Please, Cindy. Yes. Give the listener at home the plot of this movie is the best plot you can. of this movie is there are there are some people that are born with this telepathic ability that they can use for evil. Like they can talk to your brain, they can read your brain, they can make you do bad stuff, they can, if they really concentrate, make you like explode or catch on fire. And it is the story of those people. The people that are trying to get them, and the people who want to be them. I feel like you missed one very important power. I don't want to give away the ending. What if our listeners at home didn't watch? The power to make someone's head explode. I said they could make someone explode or make someone... But specifically, just their head. Just their head explode, that's true. I've had a migraine bad enough that I thought my head was going to explode before. Um, Does that count? So this movie... I have a cold, at least my voice isn't... Super scratchy, but I do have a cold. This movie is known in a lot of circles by a lot of people as the Exploding Head movie. I thought it would be called the Magneto movie. So this is the Exploding Head movie. Uh, because there is an exploding head in this <laughs> and movie. And it's so 1980-like. It's so 80s. Amazing. Hilarious. It's amazing. Amazing. Uh, what does IMDb say the plot's about? So, it's really simple, actually. It's, like, painfully simple. They're, they're what I said? Like the telepathic ability? Job. A scientist sends a man with extraordinary psychic powers to hunt others like him. Boom. Done. <laughs> I forgot about that this, major part. It's major interesting part. that you would bring up Magneto because this does play it does. like a superhero movie. Well before superhero movies were, like, a So... This, um, I know I just joked around about spoilers, but if you didn't see the movie, why are you listening? Um, yeah. So the you. twist at the end is that the people that so, are, no, so don't fuck you. the people that are hunting the, the people with telepathy turn out to be one of them and is trying to, and like they end up being brothers. There's a very Luke Skywalker moment, you know, Luke, I'm your father. And... They're trying to get, and then they want to, they're, they're trying to get together that they can infect everybody with their mutant ability. Well, so the basic plot of this movie, which, which, knowing the whole movie from beginning to end, because you find out a lot at the end of the movie. There's mm-hmm. a lot of like, there's a lot of twists. Like, exposition at the end. So essentially what this movie is about is there are people that are born with um, psychic powers. They're called scanners. They have the ability to minds and whatnot. And the thing is, they were created by a drug accident. There was a drug marketed to pregnant women. Think like thalidomide. Exactly like thalidomide. Um, It was released too soon. They didn't test it. They call it ephemeral. And what it did... Which sounds like a drug... Like, that sounds like something that we marketed. And basically... For sure. All of the kids whose moms took it developed these psychic powers. And the only way they could tame the psychic powers is to take that drug. Right? Mm-hmm. So the drug, if taken in utero, creates the power. Mm-hmm. But then once you have it, if you take the drug, it silences it. It calms you down and makes you able to like focus and whatnot. Not hear like 50 voices in your head. At all times. So the, the two main characters, well, the, the hero and the villain. So the hero, Stephen Lack, he's basically thawed out of whatever. We see him and he's homeless and... 
mm-hmm. his dad, who he doesn't know is his dad, turns him loose. For those of you who are not American, um, homelessness in America is when you have a mental impairment or multiple mental impairments and you turn 18 and don't have a parent. So you're just kind of literally put on the street or um, at 25 when you go off your parents' health insurance, you can no longer afford the medications that you need. And then you just end up on the street. Sorry, I just wanted to clear that up. Homelessness, in that sense, is not a problem in other places. Huh. Wonder why. It was in Canada for this. This movie is Canadian. That's fair. So, he uses his son, who he's had on ice, because his two sons are the most powerful scanners. Because he used the uncut drug on the mom to test. Yeah. Because that's super ethical. Let's be honest. It comes down to the two brothers, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Um... One with fabulous hair, one losing his hair. And Michael Ironside. And Michael Ironside, as far as acting goes, is the best goddamn thing about this movie. (laughs) I love him so much. In everything. In everything. Michael Um, Ironside? Yeah. He's just a treat. I asked my bestie and she was like, I like him. Like, okay. (laughs) I mean, I think the first thing I ever saw him in was Top Gun. He's Tom Skerritt's right hand dude. Okay. And Top Gun. The one that like is always telling uh, Tom Cruise, "You're you're a danger compared <laughs> to everyone else." But you know he's only he only did a couple days on this movie, and he's the to me the most memorable thing about. Well, this he's movie. not really in the movie. He's in a few yeah. very key scenes, and that's about it. But he is when I think back about this movie, I, I, there's two things I think of. I think of the exploding head, <laughs> and I think of Don't Michael Ironside. I think of his character. And he's not in the movie a whole lot. Well, I mean, yeah. But to be fair, like the villain in any hero's journey, that doesn't typically show up till the end. And let's be honest, too. Usually the villains are more interesting than the heroes. Because so you are saying that because who is your favorite X-Man? Magneto. Mm-hmm. But think about it. Like, <laughs> heroes are only as interesting as their villains. Right? Or are villains only as interesting as their heroes no i would disagree because a villain can have any motivation a hero's motivation is let's stop the villain hmm like not batman the, the whole point of stephen lack's character is to foil daryl revick who has drilled a hole in his head at some point yeah. and is a fucking lunatic and i love him the reason he does that is because his children he does he thaws them out and then he just kind of eh. he wanted to use them as weapons eh. like he he sold the company that created that drug to the company that's like trying to harness the scanners right because he's like the scanner handler guy yeah this is a movie again like has a lot of X-Men vibes it's a lot of superhero vibes because the hero has no concept of who he is Goes on the traditional hero's journey to a degree. Finds out kind of a little bit about himself. Finds out like, oh shit, the villain and I are related. And he finds out the very bitter end. The villain isn't super like he's villainous for reasons. He's villainous at the end, obviously, but he's villainous in the during. I almost said during the play. During he's villainous during the movie because he is hunting other scanners. Like he's hunting scanners. At least that's what our protagonist is led to believe, right? That's what they tell that's him. That's what they tell him. But then also, like, I don't know how true that is. And also, I don't know if it's a, he's going to them and saying, like, join me or die. 
Oh, sort of I didn't. I like, never thought he, he might have been doing that. He was creating like his own army. That was the whole point of like the trucks and like putting. That the makes out. more sense than he he's was killing them. And Why would he have been doing that? He's creating his own army because he's like, we'll create a utopia and we'll drive the normals to their knees. The normies. And I like it. Um, I'm on Daryl Revick's side in this movie. <laughs> and I like it. <laughs> Michael wow. Arnside. Okay. Uh, I side with a villain. Um, 90% of, of the time. Especially when it comes to comic related stuff. And this feels like a comic book. It does. Right? Was it ever? No. no? It, I wonder it if it's ever been. It was originally envisioned to be a very different movie from David Cronenberg. Um, he had originally written it to be, uh, it was going to be called Te- uh, Telepathy 2000. I really like the term scanners though. Yeah. And it was about a telepathic rape on a subway. Oh, shit. And it was, you know, like, raping someone's mind. Mm-hmm. And it was going to be a subsequent good versus evil scanners war. And Canada was like, whoa, uh, homie, I like this better We don't than have that. that money for, like, a war. <laughs> we don't have all uh, that. You're in Canada, A. Uh, maybe. A. Maybe. Have a Molson and calm maybe, down, uh, temper your expectations on the amount of money you're going to get to make this. And he did. Like, he had to rewrite the script. At night and shoot during the day. And it was a bit of a mess. And he said this was the hardest movie he's ever made for that reason. I thought it was well put together. No, I mean, I right. enjoy it, but it was he was writing the scene tonight before, like, dialogue and whatnot. Yeah. So. Well, let us move along then to... What did you take away from this movie? Okay, if I had, did not already know, it would make sense for this movie to be the movie he did after The Brood. Mm-hmm. It has a... It it is it kind of linear that way to the brood, like a thematic connection, because this movie, like we talked about with the brood being like unintentionally or intentionally like leaving your bullshit and drama and whatnot with your children. Mm-hmm. It's the same thing with this. His the two main characters, the the hero and the villain, mm-hmm. are fucked up because their dad decided to try a drug on their mom when she was pregnant. There's so many ethics in and in what that what what we think is the good guy. For the longest time he's like the mentor, like he's the good guy. Yeah. Um well, he's the good guy's ally, I should say. There's so many things when the older brother, the bad guy, Michael Ironside, starts talking and explaining to him like, "No, here's what really happened, man." It was like, "Whoa. You use your wife and unborn child as an experiment." Number one. Number two, you get her pregnant again pretty quickly so you can keep the experiment going. Like, there's... Oh, my gosh. There's so many violations going on. What a fucking asshole. Yeah. Uh, and, and it's hoisting your bullshit on your children and, and ruining them yep. as a result. Which is kind again, of what the brood is about. Yeah, the, the brood generational trauma. We talked about that a bunch in... Uh, in the brood. And this movie's kind of about a very similar thing, right? My bullshit, my trauma, what I'm doing to my wife affects my children, and then they mm-hmm. in, in turn, turn become crazy. Affect the world around them in negative ways, right? Even yeah. like Stephen Lack, who tries so hard to be a nice guy, everywhere he goes, people get murdered. Like, like every time he goes, he's like, hi, I'm a, I'm a scanner like you. They're like, oh, welcome. And then they immediately get murdered by yep. like the people. That immediately. Are Violently murdered. Yeah, I was going to say. Shotgun murdered. <sighs> it was, uh, hmm. But I will say this, listeners, as we talk about this movie. I cannot stress to you, The Tale of Two Cities 
the tale of two actors that is the ending of this movie. Mm-hmm. Because one of the actors is okay, and one of them is slaying it. <laughs> like, at the end scene, I was... And like, I think we can tell who that was by the like, one who... Whose name we recognize, and the actor whose name we don't recognize anymore. <laughs> the scene at the end where they're like, he knows all about, like, his dad and, like, Revix's his brother and all that. Like, they have the conversation, and I want to say, he's like, you know, you should join me. And Stephen Lack says, in almost this tone, it's like the old man's back. It's like he's been reborn in you. Yeah. <laughs> and then Michael Ironside's like, no, like... Ravik! I'm just like, Ravik! One of you is slaying this. Yeah. Another one is not so much slaying this. This is the second Cronenberg movie that I've noticed. The story is good, and the ideas are good, but the actor chosen as the lead is cardboard. Cardboard. Uh, Shivers was the same way. Yeah. He, like... People are dying and fucking and killing each other and murdering and fucking children. And he's like, well, we'll just wait down here. We'll be all right. My God. <laughs> My God. My God. My uh, God. And that's a thing that is going to change after this movie. So in the, the, the Cronenberg canon, <laughs> as it were. This, you said, came after, direct right after? The right after Right the after Brood. brood. It, I know we skipped one between. It, so... There's Shivers, mm-hmm. right, which is his first professional film. Then we skipped Rabbit, and then we went into The Brood. From The Brood into Scanners. And Scanners is a hit. It's a big... It makes a lot of money. Yeah. And it's a big hit in America. And in turn, he gets to start, like... He's still making movies in Canada, but he starts to work with, like, actors that are recognizable. Oh, that and have had a lot of training. So, like... Okay, Scanners, right, stars Stephen Lack. Okay. Stephen Lack. I don't know who that is, but okay. And then after this, he would do The Dead Zone with Chris Walken. Okay. Oh, yeah. See? Big difference. Based on a... Big difference. Based on a story by Stephen King. And then he would do The Fly with Jeff Goldblum. And then he would... Who I mean, doesn't love Jeff Goldblum? It just, it, it's like an escalation of talent from here on out. Gotcha. Gotcha. So there's no more like, I picked this guy out of... University of Winnipeg's acting school, and he would do this for 20 bucks and a hot dog. And a hot dog, because that was our craft services budget. So, my takeaway from this, uh, I think, I don't know, I like the idea of, not scanners, I like the term scanners. I like like if people with telepathy, if that was a real thing, I would call them scanners. That's a great term for what they do. It's, um... And I really like the scene where the baby scans Jennifer O'Neill's character. Oh, yeah, from, the, really, from the womb. That was a really cool idea. Do you know I found out about Jennifer O'Neill, and it really bums me out because I didn't know about it until today. Uh, is she a racist? No. Um, so Jennifer O'Neill, you know what she does now? No, what? She, like, doesn't really act anymore, I guess. She's, like, a far-right um, <sighs> anti-abortion activist person who wrote, like, a book, and she's apparently, like... Not very politically aligned without Without knowing anything about her. But just knowing what you told me. She sounds like somebody who probably got knocked up while being an actress and being young and was forced to get an abortion. There are lots of women out there who write 
books about how horrible and horrific the, the whole process and everything is, and it's usually because the choice was taken from them and they were forced to, which is kind of why we don't want to take the choice from people, but never mind. Well, I'll get off my soapbox. Apparently, a, a, my sofa box, my soapbox. I've not read it, so I'm just paraphrasing what I've. When I, I, I guarantee. Up. Apparently, her book has a lot of factual inaccuracies about the whole process and. Like, you know, it, yeah. it sounds like it was one of those books where it's like, you know, they just pull a fully formed baby out and cut its head off in the room and then sell its body parts to like, you know, one now, of those people. Again, like, <coughs> someone me. in their car right now is like super pissed Hang off. Hang on, Cindy's pulling her soapbox back out. Here's what I'll say. there, There is, there's a significant, not a significant, but there's a portion of the pro-life movement who are women who had a traumatic abortion story. They were raped and then they were forced to get an abortion or they did a backyard abortion or something in that sense. And that probably was traumatic and horrific. And their memories of that are probably horrific and traumatizing. But because of that is why we want to keep the right to the choice so that it's not a horrific event. It's something that's regulated and done by doctors and it is literally just the removal of like a cell or two from your body and never mind. All right, putting the soapbox away and returning to David Cronenberg. So what do you think is the theme? What is the thesis of this movie? What point was he trying to make? I to me it, it seems very like generational trauma again and it also feels like I'll be honest with you and this could be me reading into this the wrong way, but this movie kind of feels like after the hardship of the brood and talking about like this is my divorce and oh, everything's awful this movie just seems like he has more fun yeah like it's, it's more it's a little more it's definitely the most fun early Cronenberg movie I mean it's it doesn't read as quite as misogynistic as uh, the brood did and I didn't even think it was that misogynistic but I mean it, it, let's face it was I mean it was just a fun way to shoot a movie and blow up a head that head, by the way, you know what that head was? What? So they made a Was la- it like silly putty? Because that's what it looked like. They made a latex head and they filled it with dog food, Ew. Uh, leftover lunch, <laughs> rabbit livers, and fake so, blood. So leftover hot dogs. Right. They just took everything, all the food that was left over one <coughs> filled it with like fake blood, rabbit livers, and everything, filled this yep. thing up. And then someone got behind it and shot it with a 12 gauge shotgun. Yes. And okay. It that is the. That description also accurately describes what you see, because the head explodes. And it's just in a meaty gore and viscera. But it's not even gore. It's like that. What that exploded? I know that that's not what's inside the human skull. Do you know what I mean? Like it was just. Ugh. It was hot dog. It was. If my head is exploded by a scanner, I want it to look like that. Okay, I'll make that happen. I want it to just be like. Uh, essentially like a tomato filled with dog food opening up okay. violently. Violently. Like. Okay. Please, um, if there are any scanners out there, please make that my dream of reality. <laughs> Come visit us. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I like this movie a lot, but this movie seems like it has the least heft to it. It probably also has the least Arkov-ness to it. Maybe. Like, so, all right. So uh, well, we've not gotten to... Your favorite part? A couple other movies. 
<laughs> okay. the one, so we'll see. Well, all right, so let's let's line it up with Arkov. So Arkov, if, you've got. I'm same tired of explaining the, it. Same as Arkov. Tired of explaining uh, exploitation it. Film, uh, exploitation film. Exploitation. You should know by now. Roger Corman esque. Smoked a cigar. I believe <laughs> uh, when asked what the Z stood for, he was like, "Not a goddamn thing." Um, it does sound cool. Yeah. Same as Ulysses S. Grant. What does he, he stand for? Not a goddamn thing. He made. Um, let me hand me a beer. Sam Sam Arkoff's probably best known for producing the Amityville Horror. Mm-hmm. So, so a action. There's a lot of action in this movie yes. for sure. Do you know and it movie, is right off the bat. The movie originally opened with the exploding head scene. Whoa. And then everyone was like, oh, whoa, whoa. let's uh, pump the brakes every, that. Like, the crowd would not stop talking through the rest of the movie. <laughs> and he was like, all right, I gotta get some story in before I explode this head so people will know what the fuck is going on. Because people were like, I don't know what's happening. I, the opening scene blow up. takes place in the most fabulous 1980s mall you've ever seen. Whatever you're thinking in your head of what a mall in the 80s looked like, this was it. A lot of plastic, a lot of a lot of foliage and plants indoors, a lot of weird sepia tones. Oh, it's fabulous! I will see you calling this the perfect '80s mall and raise you chopping mall as the perfect '80s mall. No, when we get to where robots sh- when we get to shopping mall horror movie month, I we'll probably could put together four of those. <laughs> I've uh, already got two: chopping mall and Dawn of the Dead. And Dawn of the Dead, the remake. Boom. There's three. I'm thinking about the R. So the R scenes were revolutionary. Is this a revolutionary novel concept? This is superhero movies <laughs> 30 odd years before superhero movies were the norm. <sighs> and it, honestly, like, this movie plays a very similar to how Marvel movies play now. Yeah. So I think it is revolutionary. In but the I mean, fact- the idea of telepathy is used. No, the no, idea no, no. Of, Not telepathy. I mean... It, th- this movie... Is basically like a rough blueprint for how every Marvel movie would, especially the early Marvel movies, would turn out. Had the second Star Wars movie come out by then, by the time this movie came out. Well, same, my voice is starting to go, guys. Same year. You're hearing it happen. The allergies are making my voice bleed. Same year. 81 was Empire. Oh, Candace. okay. Because I was going to say, if this came out after Luke, I am your father, then no, there's no way same in hell year. this is revolutionary. What if, what if we find out Lucas stole it from Cronenberg? Do you know, I don't think that's a thing, but did you know that Return of the Jedi, which was directed by Richard Marquand, was offered to David Lynch and David Cronenberg? And they, they both turned it down? Um, David Cronenberg said that he answered the phone and someone was like, I'm so-and-so from Lucasfilm. We would like to talk to you about director. It was then called Revenge of the Jedi. Cronenberg mm-hmm. was like, "I've never really directed anything that someone else wrote, so I don't know." And they were like, "All right, bye." And just hung up. Nice. Like, and David Lynch was probably like, "No, I want there to be a red room." David Lynch was like, "I'm in the middle of Dune. I can't get away from Dune. It's gonna be big." And then they're like, "All right, yeah." Misjudge that just, one, bro. Could you imagine a David Lynch like version the, the, of the, the Star three, Wars movie? <laughs> the three important Davids have a connection to Return of the Jedi, which is so weird. The three like, important Davids of the, Josh's the, life. The three important. Let me clarify. Filmmaking Davids, <laughs> right? The three Josh Davids. So David Lynch and David Cronenberg were both offered this 
Return of the Jedi 2 direct. And then one of the person in the effects department at ILM at the time was David Fincher, who oh. would go on to do like seven. I do know Club, David Fincher's name. Um, in Zodiac. So there's a weird like triple David action. They're all connected at the Return of the Jedi. But yeah. I love the th- I love the three Davids. The three Davids. All right, back to Arkov. Uh, so revolutionary, yeah, it's debatable. I would say yes. I would say no. Uh, K killing, yes. yes, right off the bat. Like we said, the protagonist starts off as a homeless man, and he's kind of wandering through this mall, uh, and growing up in the eighties, that was something that happened. The homeless people in winter would just kind of wander the malls, and he, they're chasing after him and trying to kill him or. We find out at the end they're trying to capture him to bring him to his brother, but we think he's being captured to be killed. Uh, oratory? Depends mm. on who's talking. Depends on who's talking. I would say I, I don't remember any dialogue, I remember, but I for sure remember a head exploding. I remember Darryl, some of Daryl Revick's lines Revick. stand out to me. Um, he made a lot with a little. That's fair. Ironside really is the MVP of this movie. I mean, I agree. He does. <laughs> Pull in the best performance. With, uh, not with not much. He's very memorable. Even in the flashback scene where he's like younger. Oh, like and the fresh when he's in the, hole in the yeah. head. Like he does a good job. The two Fs are uh, what is it? Fornication and fantasy. That's why he's the only actor that would go on to do other things from this. Well, movie. That, yeah, he's <laughs> the only name you have heard of. There's no real fornication. There's no real sexy time in this. No. His love interest. It's more of a. Brothers, like the the woman I mean in this film, pl- it it is very. He wants to protect her, and you know what I I like about this movie, and I feel like for the Arkoff method formula, it was it's a mark against it. Mm-hmm. Obviously, it doesn't meet the fornication, but I'm really glad that there's not a moment in this movie where they're like, we're on the run from shotgun crazies that are trying to murder us. <laughs> Let's pause and fuck it out real fast. Yeah, let's let's like, hang out in this. Uh, that really bothers me in movies where they're like, you know what? Um, so let's take a minute <laughs> and just, have a hot sex and, scene and just fuck it out for a minute, even though we're being chased by everyone. Yeah. But, Meanwhile, in real life, if I stub my toe one day, I'm like, oh, I don't want to bother. You just made me think of <laughs> that scene where he gets in the computer and they make the computer blow up. Well, that that's cool. As okay, fuck. well that's what I was about to say. So the the final F fantasy or like is this like a new kind of a concept and yeah. That is not how computers work though. Well, no, it's not, but in <laughs> like when this movie came system. out and like information system technologies was like a new thing. That whole element of him being able to connect into the computer almost think like the matrix style um it's very internet before the internet yeah that is kind of new okay i might give it revolutionary based on that definitely well. not a fornication yeah definitely no f the o is but yeah i'll give it revolutionary i totally forgot about that it's a pretty important scene too it's it was also fun so we're watching it and as the i don't even remember the main character's name as he's connecting to the computers, you know, and the, the, it's cut to the computers, and it's the old, you know, the big tape spinning and everything, and Josh is like, this phone has ten times more power than that whole room. True oh, story. yeah, yeah, it does. True story. But the effects in this movie are really what stands out. 
Like, there's explosions. And the gunshots are pretty he good. He really went for, like, an action, mm-hmm. like, thriller vibe. A lot of fall, you know, a lot of shotgun, so it's not just one bullet falling off something and then hitting something else yeah. kind of a thing. Yeah. Um, the effects for this were done by Dick Smith. It was supervised <laughs> by Dick Smith. Um, and Dick Smith did the effects for the Are you Blacksmith? No, I'm Dick Smith. Huh? So, yeah. He, um, he did the effects for the Exorcist. <laughs> so I'm going to call prostitutes from now on. A Dick Smith? A Dick Smith. How about a Dick Warlock? They're Dick Warlock. He doubled uh, Kurt Russell in every 80s movie. That's right. <laughs> they were the same size. But, yeah, so Dick Smith. Go ahead and laugh it out. I'm sorry. So Dick Smith, who did the effects for this movie, who also did The Exorcist, and altered states. He's like this famous effects guy who gave a lot of people their start. Like in the '80s when he was making this movie, like Rob Bottin, mm-hmm. who we've talked about, the hairy Robert, man. Yeah, he was interning with him. Oh, that, like, yeah. Guillermo del Toro wrote Dick Smith a fan letter and came to New York, and he said I was like this little fat, like 16 year old boy, and he met me at the train station, and then let me stay at his house for two days, and like explained to me everything he did. Gave me the recipe. Super how, decent guy. Like, decent guy. How he gave Del Toro like here's my recipe for fake blood because he like made the industry like standard fake blood, and was like you know because he was like I want to be an effects guy or a film director and Dick Smith was like I would lean toward film director because your eyes there you're not really a technician. Yeah, he does a pretty shitty eyes. So would you? Well, obviously you would watch this again because you've seen it before. Uh, I like this movie a lot. Of the movies we've seen this month, this is the one that I would probably watch again. Um, I Does that make sense? I would say that of the three we've watched, this has not been my favorite. It hasn't been my favorite either, but... I would I, mean, I would rewatch. Okay. I would totally rewatch this movie. I, I like this movie a lot. Um, I would also rewatch The Brood. Mm-hmm. And I like The Brood more. Mm-hmm. I think Shivers is the only one that I'm like, I don't really Again right now. No, thank you. Never. I need, again. Like, a, I need like a recharge period. Before I'm you go back good. into that mess. I would not watch this with my kids. Well, maybe the 14 year old might like it. Again, though, it's the pacing. It's 1980s pacing. Millennial kids can't handle it. The short attention span. Technically, he's not even a millennial, is he? Gosh, I wonder what his generation will be called. Douches. <laughs> I don't know. Do we have any noteworthy or mentionables in this? Um, no, just the whole Dick Smith thing. I just wanted to talk about him because... Because he's a good guy. He, he deserves his name no, to be he's said. a really good dude. And he did like the effects for like Amadeus, right? Which I fucking love that movie. But he helped a lot of up and coming. Like the people that we... Well, not you because you it wasn't really your thing. But the people in the when we were kids that we thought were effects rock stars. He helped get them their start or helped them in some way along the way. Um, he's kind of like the grandfather of the 80s boom of like physical Special effects. effects. So what are we watching next week? So next week. Next week. Uh, we're getting in the home stretch, right? Mm-hmm. We got two weeks two left. Two more. So we're going to watch a movie that I love. Called? Videodrome. Videodrome? Drome. Um, it's fucking crazy. It's the craziest thing that we'll watch this month that he's made probably. Um, Crazier than... People turning into ravenous, Fuck sex crazed. Uh, yeah, way crazier. Oh, okay. Way <laughs> crazier. All right. Well, join us next week for the craziest of the Cronenberg movies. Apparently. Yeah. Uh. I enjoyed it a lot. I'm really excited to watch it with you. When did that come out? 
Videodrome. 83? Mm-hmm. Uh, so that'll be what we'll do, and that'll, that'll be hands down my favorite movie of the month, probably. Followed closely by the last movie, which I'm predicting the last movie we watch this month will be your favorite movie. Well, thank you for saving the best for last year. So. Well, until then. I'm Josh. And I'm Cindy. And I'm still his girlfriend. Yay. Yay. This has been the Michael Ironside Appreciation Podcast. <laughs> where we watch a Michael Ironside movie and I gush about how... How much I appreciate him. His talent does not match his hairline. <laughs> <laughs>